0: We want to do our best to finish James tonight. We've got, uh, we've got to finish up chapter 4, and chapter 5 is not a long chapter. However, it does have a couple of sticking points for some people that's hard to work through. I will go ahead and confess to you that uh, my view of James chapter 5 has changed through the years. As I've learned more, as I've learned how to read the Word, as I've learned how to read uh, the Bible and learn how to stay in context, uh, I've grown from it. And my desire of walking through James and First Peter, uh, these two are, I, don't know, I hope you've seen the parallels from First Peter and James, um, you know, in this refining of our faith. And uh, I chose to do this because they complement each other. And I want us to be able to read through and see uh, the the reasoning along the way, just in this path that we're walking through God's Word, so... Uh, Let's go ahead and pray so we can jump in and talk about some things. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I am just so thankful how you have just blessed us with your word and how your word speaks to us and guides us and shapes us and brings forth life. Uh, Your word shows us uh, where there are inadequacies in our faith and where we need to grow, where we need to learn. uh, Your word has power for us because it comes from you. And so, Lord, any conflicts that we may have with the text, thank you that you have shown us how to study. You've given us resources and understanding how to dig deeper and how to walk through the story of redemption. Lord, this is all about you. Jesus Christ, this whole, whole book is just pointing to Jesus Christ and our life in Christ, the life that you provide us. Tonight, I pray, Lord, that you would guard this time that you protect our hearts and minds with your peace. May your love abound in this place. May we be diligent to maintain the unity of our faith together as the body. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the joy of our salvation. May it be full in our hearts. May we not allow the enemy to rob us of that joy. Uh, thank you for the fullness that we can have in Christ. And now may your word just unfold before us as we walk through uh, this final chapter and these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, any questions before we go into chapter, we'll be finishing up chapter 4. We'll, we'll clarify again our terms. We'll clarify the process and what uh, James is doing, but any questions thus far as we're getting towards the, the latter part of this letter? Any sticking points for you? When I mean sticking points, something that you're just having a hard time getting over or working through. Nothing. Counting it all joy, right? (laughs) I think that's a constant. (laughs) Our flesh and our feelings do not want to consider it all joy. We have to be reminded of why, uh, where that joy comes from. What else? Anything? Nothing. Y'all are just... Top of the dean's list, you got it figured out. Just either that or way down the bottom. <laughs> sometimes after service on Sundays, uh, when people are just staring at me and it's quiet, no response uh, afterwards. Sometimes people will say it's not that we don't get it; we're just getting hammered by the word, and we're just having to work through it, and and so we don't respond right away. And I get it. See, I I have the blessing of going through in advance. So I get hit in advance and and so I've had time to work through it but yes <laughs> Okay Uh, We had to clarify this earlier, okay? We have to remember we're not talking about justification. We're not talking about theology, theologically, whether you're saved or not, okay? So let's just nail that down. Salvation has been covered. uh, Because he's writing, and we'll see it into the text today. He's talking to the brethren. He's talking to those who are in Christ. They have a faith in Christ. However, what's happened is that in doing life, remember he's writing to the Jews, they're scattered abroad. What is the mindset of the Jew? What is the mindset of the Jew? Now, Because it's been addressed in the New... Paul had to address it. Uh, James is addressing it. Peter's addressed it and yet fell back into acting like a Jew. So what, what is this issue uh, that we keep with the works of the law? What do we keep coming up to? Any ideas? They thought they were justified by the law... Okay, And they were blessed because they, uh, well, here's a, you go back to the Mosaic law, go before Moses, okay? Why did James reference Abraham? Uh, when was Abraham saved? He was saved when he, when God speaks and says, your seed and, well, actually before chapter 15 at 12, chapter 12, God uh, starts his relationship and, and what does Abraham do? At the, at, the, at the leading of God saying, here's what I want you to do. Abraham loads up by faith and takes off uh, where God leads him. And so we see in the text, if you go back in Genesis, if you look further along, you see this faith of Abram growing, okay? And it was so it's always been by faith that we're justified. The works of the law come in with Moses, Israel. So there, uh, you know, were people before Moses, before the law, were they saved? You bet. You bet. Their faith was in the seed, the seed to come, okay? The fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis. So we, I'm trying to stay focused on your question because I'm going to chase these rabbits, but this uh, works of the law, the Jews, they had faith in Christ, but they get over here. One of the things that the Jews ran into is that they, because of their identification as a Jew with the law, they said, we're blessed just because we're circumcised, their identification with Israel, okay? And so, how were they blessed when they kept the law? You know, if they obeyed the law, the Moses said, if you do everything that the law says, you keep the law, God's going to bless you as a nation. What was the goal? Why did God... Uh, make this nation Israel? Why did he bring these people together? If you're going to make a nation, you have to have, first you have to have people, uh, you have to have laws, and you have to have land, okay? God created this people, and they were to, they were to do what? First and foremost, remember the Shema? The great Shema. What was the Shema? You're to love the Lord thy God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second to that, Jesus said, love thy neighbors as thyself. That was the chief of the law. So here's where the Jews fell short. They got into this, well, I'm circumcised, I'm a Jew, I'm good with God, and I'm doing the works of the law, and so he's going to bless me financially. We get to Christ. The law tells us, uh, Paul said the law was a tutor. No man was ever saved by the law, Paul said, what did the law do for us it revealed the character of god and it revealed that we were just depraved sinners that had no hope of coming to god and so our only hope was god intervenes paul you he would write he'd say there'd be this situation he would say but god okay what what these guys are forgetting is that uh it has always been through faith but then christ takes us on a different path we are, uh, so we need to, it's a good time to clarify our terms, blessing, to be blessed. And, and what is, in James, what is this whole thing here? This is the path of blessing, this testing of our faith, the various trials, the various trials refining, what does it do? It produces endurance, it does this work of endurance, that perfect, having a perfect result, complete, lacking in Nothing. Our goal as a born-again believer is to have a rock-solid faith that is refined, it is purified, the impurities like gold are being burned off, this refining or testing, if you will. That word testing, in the original language, it means to uh, this process of revealing true character, the true character of the faith. And so what we see happening in this, our faith is to become a an image bearer, okay? And what God is showing us, if we're going to be an image bearer, Christ, the ultimate image of God, the love and character, uh, we went through Colossians. That's why we went through Colossians, part of it, is that we, uh, he, Christ is the, the image, the visible image of the invisible God, the character of God come down from heaven. We started James, uh, that gift from heaven above come down, the character, uh, the righteousness of God on display through Christ. Okay, And so if we are going to become like Christ, there's only one way that that can happen on this side of heaven. You have to burn off the impurities. okay, and That's what this refining is doing. When we are walking, uh, Ken came up last Wednesday night. And then, Ken, what were you saying about various trials? Could that be my son's on the mission field and, and, and I don't want him on the mission field. I want him here with me. Uh, various trials does not have to be something, uh, this huge ordeal. We have, that's, why, that's why the word is various. We're all different. We're on different paths. We're all dealing with different parts of our personalities and who we are. And, uh, our character's different. But God is wanting to develop one character among many different characters. One character among many different characters. And this is how it happens. Who is the one character? Christ. One character among many characters. And so God has designed it in a such a way that it's not about your circumstances. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how good you have it in life. It's not about how easy this path is. But here's what these guys were doing. They were saying, you know, I do, I've do. i got the works of the law. I've got works going on. And, and look at my bank account. Look at my position. Look at all I have going for me obviously i'm good with God, and James is going, no you're not you're not you're not you're not doing the law you're not doers of the law. How many times did we see that word doer doers of the law in fact it's we just might as well get to work uh back in chapter chapter one and two um, prove yourselves chapter one verse twenty two but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely merely Hearers who delude themselves, that is, deceiving themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Uh, James. Uh, as a Jew, he's going to know, what did Moses say to the people? This is what God said. Hear the voice of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. And they, they would say, Moses, you go listen to God. We're not going up on that mountain or we're going to be wiped out. You go and you hear what God has to say. You come back and tell us and we'll do what he says. Okay. So the issue is, they're saying they're they're doing the works of, of the law. They're doing good. They're following uh, the law. And so therefore, guess what? We're just blessed. And that poor guy over there, he's got sin in his life. They're judging the poor guy. They're judging the one who is going through various trials. And God is refining. They're saying, man, you, you got some." What was the example we went to in the Old Testament? Job. We went to Job. His friends, Job's friends said, well, apparently, <laughs> apparently, you've got something going on here, you need to, apparently, you need to confess. You've seen that video with the little kid, apparently. Well, uh, that's kind of the message here. And we know that God said not so with Job. In fact, at the end, we're going to see that today in chapter 5, how it correlates with Job even further with this whole issue of prayer and those things. So I I may not have answered that completely, but I'm just kind of There's just so much in that uh, on the scope of it all. And so, um, yeah, they're thinking works, works, works. God bless. That was it. The blessing and the works. These are works of the law, self-righteousness, and we're blessed financially, good outcomes. And James is going, no, 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 no. The works we're talking about, remember in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, works of endurance right here. Works of endurance having a perfect result okay complete lacking in nothing and that's what we're wanting and then in verse 12 I think of chapter 1 as we stand before the Lord uh, 12 and 13 12 uh, that we will have an approved have been approved we will receive the crown of life okay anything else if we jump anything else with this because I want you to yes sir Well, we're. So, I'm trying to find it. Anyone want to address that while I'm looking for this verse? No test, no testimony, no test, no testimony right? Okay. Um,. okay okay let me reap what we sow consequences of bad decisions testing is all a test uh this is why i like doing this with first peter on sunday by the way i uh, get prayed up for the next several weeks of first peter it's going to get tough folks in fact i love to fly into it and get excited i'm going to have to be very prayed up because we're going to slow down we get into some of these chapters of first peter's going to get tough um Chapter 3, verse 13 Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone uh, who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior, and Christ will be put to shame. Uh, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Uh, the, there are, and Peter's going to address this in some other places. Uh, what he's saying is be careful that you understand uh, across the board there's going to be suffering. Make sure you're suffering for the right reasons suffer for the righteousness of Christ over here here's where we have in this place um, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, right here here's the pivotal point in this place do I respond with sacrificial mercy as Christ would. So what we're going to see in first Peter as we move further on Christ suffering as an example to us. we submit, we demonstrate faith in Christ, His character, His love. You need to get ready because the world's going to turn up the heat. Okay, get ready. And that's going to be hard uh, because we're going to have to say yes to suffering. And so, in that moment, when I want to respond to revile, to get revenge, to have my say, to satisfy my flesh, you go down the list depending on the, on the, the situation. If I fall to the temptation carried away by my lust, I'm going to suffer for that because I made a bad choice and I find myself in sin. what you you reap what you sow kind of thing. Over here in that trial, do I take the route of Christ who did not respond to the evil, who did not respond to the accusation, who did not, he was beaten He was bruised, they spat upon him, they pulled his beard out, the cat of nine tails ripped his flesh off. What is Christ's response? He was obedient even to the point of death. And that is what God is trying to produce in us. In that moment, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, when the, when the Spirit and the Word of God is saying, be like Christ, because this is what I'm doing right here. That's the path you're on. Be like Christ, regardless of the outcome. Or we say, I've had enough. I've had enough. No more of that. You see, our temptation is carrying us away. Our lust, and it gives birth to sin. It brings forth death. And this death is barrenness. It's in inability to show forth the character of God, okay sacrificial mercy was that I had a friend who said it was it's never too late to do the right thing. Because you know who I'm talking about. Okay. So let's say that, let's say I do start down this path. Chapter 5. That's what chapter 5 tonight is about. I'm I'm going down this path, but someone over here says, Hey, Tim, I don't know if you're aware of this. Let me tell you what God's trying to do through our trials. And I'm over here, and this guy brings wisdom. Remember, chapter 1, what are we asking for? Wisdom, God's wisdom, without judging. So this guy has the wisdom of God, righteousness of Christ, the Word as revealed, the revelation of God. So this person over here, chapter 5, is praying for me. I'm in this, and I'm going, this is not working. Something's not right. I'm in the Word, somebody's sharing the Word with me. And then I realize, huh, I started down the wrong path. And a brother or sister loved me enough to come along beside me and say, I want want you to consider a few things. Let's walk through the word. And so we get to the end of chapter 5. And he who has turned a brother saves his soul from death. And the, the process in that is through much prayer. It's through much conviction. It's through much working with the individual. Okay? And one, let's say that person is over here on this path, and they're getting weary. In fact, the word in chapter 5 for anyone who is suffering, then anyone who is sick, let them call the elders, that word for sick that's used there, one who is weary of soul. They're beaten down. They're on this trail, okay? Maybe there is some sickness, but the, the root of what James is talking about, the one who is on this trail, this pathway, Gailey, we were talking about earlier, I'm worn down. I'm weary of soul. When I started James that first night, I stepped up here. I got nothing, folks. I got nothing. I was worn down. I was weary. It was no coincidence that we're starting James. Your pastor was beat down to a pulp. So, but I've got guys that pray for me. I got guys that lay hands on me. I got guys that come alongside me. And you know what? My soul was restored. James chapter 5. Sister, you don't quit. This is why we started beginning. We, we, I've said, we've got to be together, folks. We've got to be together. You're going to be weary. You're going to be suffering. You're going to become sick in, within your soul. Or you've got nothing left. And the enemy is hounded. Now, we cannot negate the three enemies that I told you about in the beginning. Do you remember the three enemies? What are the three enemies? What's the first one you want to say one? Remember? The world, okay, the world's one. This world system that wants to be void of God, okay, the world. Your flesh, your flesh desires nothing of God. It will not move towards God unless the Holy Spirit of God moves towards you and intervenes you will not, according to Scripture, move towards God. Um, the third one is Satan himself, the demonic realm. Very real, very active. Those are the three enemies that the believer has to fight against. And how do we fight against the enemy? We have the armor of Christ. In the Old Testament, Isaiah, we talk about the full armor of God. That is talking, and Paul is, is referencing Isaiah in the armor of Christ, who he is, Okay? That's all he's doing there. And we have this armor of Christ, and we have the Word of God tearing down. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I think, chapter 10, I think it's there, uh, he's talked about, and we're destroying every speculation, tearing down these strongholds, this spiritual battle we're in. And how does he do it? He says, by taking every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. So we take the revelation of God's Word, we're on this path. We're getting weary in our soul. And that individual says, I need some prayer. And James says, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he gives us some examples in that. So we've jumped way ahead into chapter 5. Uh, let's jump in here. Let's get let's get some of this done. We'll come back to some questions. So chapter 4, I have that we finished with cha- verse 10, verse 11, Uh, Do not speak against one another, brethren. What have we just talked about? The tongue. Remember that little spark can do what? Start a huge fire. And I mean it blazes through your life. Think of what just a few words can say in your relationships. And you go, oh, if I could just pull that back in. Okay. So he says, brother, and again, he's using, uh, these are words that involve judging a brother. Remember, these guys on this side are looking to that poor fellow and saying, you've got sin in your life. They're judging the brother. It's Krenos, okay? And and you're going to see it used in in, uh, these following verses. Uh, 12, I think 11, 12, and and maybe a few other places. So do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, Krenos, all right? speaks against the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge of it what is happening here they're using this tongue to tear down a brother to judge a brother uh, it's obviously calling, causing division and trouble within the congregation and when you speak against a brother you're assuming a role that's not for you to feel I, when, I, when I start judging a brother, their motives or where they are with God in their relationship with Him, I have to be careful because I can uh, be assuming a role that's not mine. I'm to be a doer of the Word. I'm to be one who follows the revelation of, of Christ, His character. Uh, I should be in life with that brother. Instead of tearing down or judging that brother or looking to cause that brother harm or sister, I need to remember I'm a doer. I'm engaged in that life with that born-again believer in the church instead of standing back and judging. There's only uh, one judge. Look at what he says here. Well, So in verse 11, do you get that? Where When we start talking and tearing down a brother, we're moving into a role of judging that's not ours. Our role is to be a doer and get in life with that born-again believer who's on this path over here. So we're both on that path. We know it's hard. We're struggling. We need the revelation of God's word, his wisdom to encourage us and move on. We don't don't judge this brother because of the outcome or the circumstances they find themselves in. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? So I need to abstain from that. It's not talking about refuse to hold each other accountable. That's not what he's saying there. Remember what the issue is. Uh, that James is addressing. These self-righteous individuals are saying, brother, you're in sin. You need to confess, get right with God, so he'll bless you. Their blessing was financial. Our blessing is the resurrection and an approved faith. So I don't jump into that role. Verse 13, come now. There's going to be an invitation here. Come, uh, this or the antagonist, uh, he says, "Come now, you who say, James is addressing the antagonist, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. What is James saying? He's, well, this this self-righteous person who says, man, I, I'm right with God. He's blessed me financially. I am put my hand to this task. Because I'm good with God, he's going to bless my business. He's going to bless this or that. And so this person looks ahead and goes, you know what? Let's go over to this city. Here's a great opportunity financially. Uh, let's go over here and we'll make a profit. We'll do such and such. And James is saying, look, you don't you don't understand. You're not you don't understand. You're not thinking about life and what it's really like. Your life is but a vapor. You don't know what tomorrow holds. So he's saying instead of, uh, it's not that we're not to work. It's not that we're not to be wise and discerning. What he is saying is that we not as, we're not to assume that uh, because our self-righteous works, God's going to bless us, whatever we put our hand to. We, don't, we might go over there to this city and God may say, well, guess what? You didn't know, uh, agriculture community, uh, there's going to be a big drought. There's not going to be any hay. And you just bought uh, 200 head of cattle. And you got a lot of land. You got a lot of grass. Now, all of a sudden, you got no grass and you got no hay. (laughs) And you don't have a whole lot of water either. So he says, You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know. And your life is but a vapor, it can be gone. So rather than assume that whatever you put your hand to, God's just going to bless it, okay? Okay. this life, it's what the Lord wills. So in this life of various trials, I'm on this trail. Lord, I don't know what the outcome's gonna be as far as these circumstances, but I knew what, I do know what my outcome is my faith. I know where I'm headed. I know what God's doing through all of this. So we went to remember we went to Romans chapter eight. God causes all things to work together for good to them who love the Lord. What was he talking about there? He's talking about he uses all of these, all of our life circumstances to develop this kind of faith. You go back to Romans five, and we see it there. Okay, so it's rather than assuming, rather than because your self-righteous works, um, you need to look at life this way. Your life is but a vapor; appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You better make sure your motives are pure and your uh, you're walking in step with the Lord. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. These individuals are being arrogant. And he says that this kind of boasting is evil. Remember in chapter beginning of chapter 4, we talked about worldliness. We talked about the source of our quarrels. In uh, chapter 3, verses 13 down to uh, 16 and 17, talking about wisdom. He says that this kind of evil wisdom in boasting, uh, arrogance, is not of God. It's demonic. Verse 17, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. I've used that verse isolated by itself and just say uh, it's the, um, you know, not, you know what to do and you don't do it. That's sin in an isolated text. But in the context, what do you think he's talking about here? Keeping it in context, not an isolated verse. What is he saying here? To him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him is sin. Yeah, you you know the response that you should have in these various trials. You know. You know how you should respond it's not rocket science. You know what it means to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what it means to love your neighbor. You know that in these situations, you're not to return evil for evil. You know We go on and on, but you don't. He who knows what to do and doesn't do it to him in a sense. So these guys over here, they know the law, but they're Jews. They know they're to love the Lord that way. They know they're to love their neighbor that way. They, they could go down the law and see it in case after case. They know how to uh, not covet their neighbor's wife and care for them, look out for their neighbor. They know that in the boundaries of their fence line, they know, they well, I like that tree, so why don't I just move the fence over to that side of the tree so I got the tree on my property. No, no, they know what to do, but they're not doing it. They're, they're saying they're doing it, but they're not doing it. It's him who knows what to do and doesn't do it to them with sin okay? These are self-righteous individuals saying they're right with God, and they're not, okay? And so many times they'll go, uh, I'm doing this, and I'm not doing this, and we've got, in fact, in the church, we develop these legalistic ways of living. You tracking with me on that one? Okay, and I'm doing, so, uh, but we're missing. Uh, I, I think it's, on a positive side of it, it's been uh, well, if I believe in Christ, I can't do this, this, and this, and this. My approach to being in Christ is I get to do all this. It's it's a, oh, it's a whole paradigm shift. Um, so, I don't know, I think I chased a rabbit on that one, but does that make sense? Okay, all right. I don't beat that now. Chapter 5, wow, okay, now... <laughs> Uh, this is this can get a little little touchy here. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. James is he's he's giving an invitation here. I mean, this chapter is if you want to be a, a good old Baptist uh, or even a charismatic, a tent revival meeting person, let's put it that way. We're we're at invitation time now, chapter five. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. let uh, us define rich? That's in worldly terms, right? That's in worldly terms, worldly success. And James is saying, come, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. All of this, it's coming to a close. Life is coming to an end, and you're getting ready to give an account. Uh, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have done what? Rotted. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. You've lived life this way. You've been living a lie, saying you're right with God and you're not. We're at the end of the road here, and you look back and look at what happened to your riches. They've rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. Now, James is going, This rust of your gold that's come on your gold and silver, guess what they're going to do? They're going to be a witness against you. He says, Their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. Where have you heard this uh, testing of your works, testing of your building, testing of how you've done your life um, as by fire? Paul mentioned it. Remember where he mentioned it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Uh, he says, any man works is tested by fire, if it's of wood, hay, and stubble, in other words, the Eternal motives, the character of God and the love of God, if it's done out of the will of God and advancing his kingdom, following him in obedience, it will remain. But if not, if it's not done with right motives and the will of God, it'll burn up like chaff. But yet your soul will be spared as if tested by fire. Let me go back to First Corinthians. Let's do that because there's a verse in First Corinthians I want you to see. First Corinthians chapter 3. I wasn't planning to go here. We'll we'll just stay re, just real quickly. Okay, um, in verse nine, chapter four, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And then in verse ten, he goes into this building, and Paul's building on the foundation of Christ. Uh, that is that foundation, uh, and another is building on it. Okay, But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. What's the context here? The building of the church, the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? So if any man's work is burned up, again, this is your role in the body of Christ. Uh, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay, and then he goes on to say, do you not know that you are a temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. He's talking about the church. In verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. God. He's not talking about the individual here. The context is not the individual. Some have taken this verse 17 to say that if man commits suicide, he's going to hell. Loses salvation, he's going to hell. That's not the text there. That's not what that verse is saying. What he's saying, again, remember he's addressing division in the church. And we are building on the foundation of Christ. And we each are a part of that building up. Remember this weekend we talked about the building up. In the body of Christ, you are being built up in order to proclaim his excellencies. And so when a man or woman enters into a congregation and they're tearing it down, what are you saying? God's going to deal with that person. And it happens. I've seen it. So he's saying be very careful how you build. So you get over here in verse 5. They come to the end. They live their lives in a certain way about their gold, about their silver. In other words, worldly befriending the world and it's in the last days verse 3 he says that you have stored up your treasure what is what did jesus say about storing up your treasure stored up in heaven where neither wrath, moth nor rust can destroy it no thieves can't break in okay why we're on this over here are, are there rewards over here on this side are there rewards there will be we'll see at the end of the uh, further in the text chapter 5 there's God's taking notes. He's watching. He's seeing. He's observing. And, and more than just the outward appearance, God goes even further. He goes into the heart and sees the motive, which is really what James is good at because he's exposing our motives of why we do it. So over here, yeah, there's, a, there's rewards. At the end, he says, there's going to be a crown waiting for you. That's storing it up in Him. We are encouraging one another, to stay on this path, to, to stay true to the Lord and demonstrate sacrificial mercy as God has to us through Christ. We're to do the same thing. So, But these guys are over here. They're living life. Boy, it's just a, like a vapor. They want their blessings on this side of heaven, and here's what they're going to end up with. Inability. Inability to demonstrate the character of God, and they are left bankrupt. Yeah, they're saved. They're getting into heaven. First Corinthians chapter 3. But that's about it. So, behold, he goes on to clarify, what were some of the issues in that day? Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you. Uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't pay them right away after they worked hard. They're withholding the pay. Uh which has been withheld by you, it cries out against you, James said. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting as well has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Who's the Lord of Sabbath? Jehovah God. He's saying their outcries for how you've treated them, guys on this side, their outcry has reached the ears of God the Father, Jehovah God, who has taken notice, he's keeping track. Now, the one who's under that trial and on that other path, their encouragement is found in the simple fact that God sees. And they have delayed reward. So, uh, he says, That cries against you, reaches the ears of our Lord. Verse 5, You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. There's that satisfying the lust of, of the flesh. And and that can take many different forms. That's the way you've lived your life on earth. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Who does verse 6 sound like? Christ. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. This one who's on this works of endurance trail... They're not resisting these guys over here. In fact, you'll see in the text further, uh, they'll take that poor man, they'll take him to court to take even what little he does have because they believe that he's a sinner anyway. He's in sin. He's being disobedient to God. I can't help him. Uh, He's going to have to help himself and get right with God before he can really get help. And so the way they're treating others, okay, Is very reflective of how the world treats Christ. So we have to be careful before we condemn uh, these believers who have a very superficial, self-righteous kind of faith, who are wanting their blessing and pleasures on this side of heaven, before we condemn them, uh, brothers and sisters, we have to check the motives of our heart because there are times where I act just the same way. I act in different ways forms, or fashions, if I get honest, okay? And he says, uh, this poor man who is right with God, the Jobes, uh, he does not resist you. What is he doing? He is demonstrating Christ-like character and behavior, and he's leaving the circumstances, the results, up to God. Because in the appointed time, you go back to First Peter, cast all of your cares Upon the Lord, for he loves you, he cares for you. I don't remember the the exact wording, but in the appointed time, he will exalt you. When we get to this place over here, Paul talks about the way we live our lives on this side of heaven will determine how we reign with Christ in the millennial age. So if I'm over here worried about getting it on this side of heaven, it doesn't seem like I'm going to be reigning with Christ very effectively or in a... A very honorable position. Now, again, check your motives. Because if you're only doing it because of that, guess what? <laughs> it's exposed. I mean, do <laughs> you see how much we need the Lord <laughs> with our motives? Okay. But I, I just, verse 6 caught me because I thought, who does that sound like? Jesus Christ. So, uh, just let's take a pause. What drives you? To live the way you live right now. Why do you? What gets you so excited to get up in, in the morning to go and do what you do? Which. I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but. Um, well, here, here's what I'm saying. This right here. That's why we've talked about several of us putting this in the middle of the platform. This drives everything I do. Everything. In fact, um, first of all, I wouldn't be as excited about Christ if I didn't have that. And I wouldn't be able to live for Christ if I didn't do that daily. So when I get up in the morning, my first thought needs to be, I didn't say it always is, okay? My first thought needs to be because of this and because of what he did. Today, I get to pick up mine and live as he did. Now, does that excite me? Does that drive me? Is that my motivation for all that I do? Or am I tempted? (laughs) Am I tempted? To trust in something to secure my future, which drives you? This or this? Now you don't have to answer that. I'm going to tell you, for most of us, and I—that I, isn't the big, largest percentage most of the time. You know how I know that? Cause I look at my calendar and I look at how I spend my days, and I, or my thinking. Let's just, cause I'm a pastor, right? So I, I could, I could, well, I could put on a show and say, yeah, I'm, I'm all about this. Look what I do, right? But motive. Where am I spending my thoughts and my drive, and what do I hope for? I, dude, sometimes I get caught up and go, well, Lord, I hope you see my sacrifices I'm making now, so that when I'm older and and i got to depend on my kids to take care of me because I can't take care of myself. Oh, God, I pray you have mercy on me somehow. Surely you'll take into consideration the life I've lived in service with. Guess what? Check my motive right there. I'm already, I'm already down this trail right here without even before I even get out of the gate. Okay, so, but uh, does this, how much you have or how much you don't have, does it drive your day? How much is enough? I had a pastor in Houston talked about fundraising and development and he said the best thing to ask a person is how much do you need? Make that call. You got it? You got it? You got it? Okay, Okay. now give the rest to God. For some of us, the, the rest might only be just a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> For someone who makes millions, how much do you really need to live on? How much do you need to plan for your future? Maybe writing a big check. You see, we got really our motives for why we do what we do. It's not that money is the issue. Paul told Timothy it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Check your motive. Are we to be hard workers? Yes. Are we to be good stewards? Most definitely. But for whose kingdom? kingdom of God. We own nothing. See, here's where it comes back into play. Here's what makes full circle. We own nothing. So how are you stewarding your time? How are you stewarding your finances? How are you stewarding your marriage? How are you stewarding your children? How are you stewarding your role in the church? We could go on and on. So if we keep this up, we won't finish chapter five. So, uh, and I told Alan I would, so. Okay, I want to honor that. Verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren, until... Here it is again. Man, we just cannot escape this. Look in verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You're on this side. He's saying these other guys, you know, they're this side of heaven, this side of heaven, this side of heaven, and guess what? It's a witness against you. Look at the rust. Look at it. It's all a testimony, the way you've lived your life. But you, brother, who's in this uh, works of endurance, the f- testing of your faith, be patient until the coming of the Lord. The farmer, be like the farmer. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, bless you, until it gets the early and late rains. Verse 8, you too be patient. That's everyone's favorite word, isn't it? Patient. Uh, No, it's not. He says, you two be patient. Now, I think it's very important that James, we see what James put there with that you two be patient. This example strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. How do we do that? How do we strengthen our hearts? Huh? i got seasoned saints in here. i got people who've been in Bible study all their lives now. Come on. At least 10 years. How do you strengthen your heart? Word. Keep your eyes on who? God. Prayer. Be involved with the body. When you isolate yourself, what happens? He gets you. The enemy gets you. Remember our three enemies we talked about. The world, the flesh, and Satan. And nothing's new under the sun. Okay, He knows he cannot combat God's word. We've already walked through some of this. Uh, we know that God inhabits the praises of his people, scripture speaks of. What is that? In the body of Christ, whenever we exalt Christ, we're in the word of God, the revelation of God, and we are being accountable to one another to live the character and love of God out, be image bearers. The, the, boy, it just... It starts, the moment you see who you are in Christ, what he has done, the victory, the covering of the blood, you begin to see your purpose, your identity, you begin to understand who you are in Christ, you go, "What, what have I got to worry about? Absolutely nothing. Concerned, yes. Concerned for my witness for Christ, concerned that I don't fall into this, but that's why I got you. That's why So I'm going to strengthen my heart in this way, just to review. Here's how I'm going to strengthen my heart. I'm going to be engaged in the relationship. It's all about relationships. I'm going to be connecting with Christ. How do I do that? The Word of God. I am going to be caring for the body of Christ. That's where the body works together. See the last part of chapter 5. In ensuring that when I grow weary, guess what? I can then be lifted up, restored renewed. I'm going to commit to serving Christ in the body. I've got this connecting, this carrying, and this committing. When I am involved in those three things, I see the strengthening of my heart, the strengthening of my soul, the understanding of the battle I'm in. Christ has given me the victory. Yes, there will be battles. And yes, I will be injured in the battle. Yes, I will be injured in the battle. But I shall endure because the Lord is near and he's coming as James is saying, you, you hold on. You hold on. Don't quit. Don't quit. Strengthen your heart because the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. You see, when I start complaining, what am I doing when I complain? Where's my emphasis and my focus going? I'll start. It goes inward. It goes inward. It's amazing, the garden living, Adam and Eve, In the garden, their heart was free to be focused outward. They had no worries, no concerns, because God had provided everything, okay, that they needed. Once they sinned, they feared God in a way that they had never experienced before. Their hearts turned inward. How do I protect myself? We see that when we start complaining, we're beginning to look at what we're not receiving. What we're not getting, unmet expectations, guess what that leads to in that moment? When we start complaining, you need to understand, when you start complaining about someone in a relationship or a circumstance, the enemy is crouching at the door, as God told Cain. Sin is crouching at the door, and here we go, just like Cain was carried away. Okay, so that complaint, you need to understand. How many of us know about triggers with behavior? Triggers, yeah. Something happens, it triggers, and a certain behavioral response, and I end up going down this trail, uh, triggers. Warning flags, when you hear someone complain or you start to complain, take this home with you. That is a warning flag. When I start to complain, my focus is shifted off of Christ, and being on this, onto me and my flesh, okay? So, uh, do not, you didn't like go ahead. Me? Oh. <laughs> That's a husband-wife deal there. Okay. All right. <laughs> so do not complain, brethren, against one another. So, because then we fall into that judging, the very thing that they were uh, guilty of. In fact, he says in verse 9, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge, the judge, is standing where? Right at the door. Right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The examples for us, the prophets, look at how they endured. They stayed true to the message of God, even though some were uh, martyred, sawn into. Horrible things happened to these prophets at the hands of these Jewish leaders. Okay? Yet, The outcome of the Lord's dealings? The Lord is full of compassion, is merciful. How is the Lord full of. So let's say this prophet endures. He's being obedient to the Lord. And like Isaiah tradition says, that he was sawn into. Placed in a hollowed out tree, sawn into. How is the Lord compassionate and merciful? The resurrection. God's answer to sin was death. We, all, we are all on the same path. But God's answer to death was what? The resurrection. Those guys were on this path as Abraham, all those guys on this path. They endured. they knowing they were looking forward to the resurrection. They were looking forward to the blessing of the promise, okay, that God was going to give them. So, um, compassion does is everyone dying? yeah is everyone going to experience hardships? yeah yeah where's the mercy and compassion of God the resurrection hope you're believing but above all my brethren do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath but your yes is to be yes and your no no so that you may not fall under judgment. Uh, some people say this is an isolated verse. Not so. He's continuing that same line of discussion, James is, where he's talking about this, the tongue and what it does and the swearing. And, and we have to be careful about every word. Simply let your yes be yes. Because when we add to it, when we go into further, um, we add to it and we have to be careful. Because then we're going to start saying things that we ought not say. Oaths were enjoined with the law. Jesus made an oath. Uh, it, there were certain oaths that were approved uh, by God, but what are you saying is this, in this course, jesting, in this uh, casual, uh, profane, or blasphemous oaths, okay? Or to abstain, just simply let your yes be yes, your no, no. Continuing on, okay? Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Now we're getting over here onto this path. Okay. Some of you are here tonight. Okay. Is anyone among you suffering? Should be able to say yes in some way. Okay. Now, in that suffering, what's going on in your soul? You're getting weary. You're running out of gas. You're wanting to be like Christ. You're wanting to respond with sacrificial mercy in the relationships. And you're just going, you know what? <laughs> Man, it's one of those days. You're suffering. Some may be persecuted tremendously. Then, if that's the case, then he must do what? Pray. He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Then he goes into verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him. So here's the process. They're sick. What is the context? Weary of soul. You're being suffering. You're out of gas, so to speak. Um, And that word that's used there is for this weariness, okay? Some would say that it means diseases or illnesses. I'm not going to argue that point. If you want to take that path of understanding, okay. But here's the process with the context of what we're talking about. The elders of the church, they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The anointing him with oil represents the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. That word for sick is translated, well, in the original language, it is that, here's where we get that weary of soul. When you are in a place where you've got nothing else. That's when you call the elders of the church because the elders are are under the authority of Christ. He is the head of the church. The elders are to shepherd the people of God. Don't go it alone. That's when the authority in the name of Christ comes on the scene and the power of Christ with his church. He says, and I will build my church. Christ in that moment will fight for his church. And that soul who is weary, who's tapped out the spirit of the living God with the revelation of the word of God, you stand on the word of God and those elders better be ready to come into battle for the church of the living God. It is in that moment when God's people want to quit, when they don't longer want to demonstrate the sacrificial mercy of God. It's in that moment we need it the most. You go back to verse six, go back to verse six. You are in that place. You have been condemned by the world. You've been condemned in a relationship. You've been beaten down and put to death that righteous man. He does not resist. I will not. I'm not to resist the world. I'm to submit to Christ and let him bring about the restoration of my soul that I can keep on because the world may, in this process, may kill my physical body. But Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body. What did he say? Fear the one who can not only destroy the body, but cast the soul into hell. You see how James is working here? You see what he's saying? We're in a spiritual battle. The, the, The greater battle here is not your physical health. That's where the enemy has really fooled the church. We spend more time praying people out of heaven and praying on into heaven. I've said that for years. Brothers and sisters, it may be difficult in that moment, but if God's taken me home, why in the world? Love me enough to let me go. I don't want to stay here. My wife hates it when I talk like this. I've seen too much. I see things that some people, I'm not elevating myself. I just know how nasty sin can be. And some of you know more than me. Okay, so what he's saying, that one who is at that point of exhaustion, maybe even, and you are tempted, you're over here, and you're walking with the Lord, and the temptation for you, because you want a, you want a release, you want some kind of relief, and so your, soul, your soul's over here, the lust of your flesh is going, hey, I think you've sacrificed enough, I think you've sacrificed enough. I think it's about time you get a little blessing. The temptation is to step over here and say, God, you know, you know my heart. Come on. Come on. And the Lord, here's what, if we're really honest, the Lord would say, Yeah, I do know your heart. That's why you better stay over there. I'm trying to refine your faith. And so this prayer, okay, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin. See, here's why we keep the context. The context is not your physical health. It's a condition of your soul. And we'll see this further on. Because what weights us down? Our sin. What? And when you go back over and see it's all tied together. You just go over to, to uh, James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility. Receive the word implanted, which is able to do what? Save your souls. We get into verse 15, and this is what we're talking about. The word implanted, the revelation of God, God, his character, his love, and how we're to live out in faith. He's saying, if there's sin in your life, and you're in that moment where you're weary, and you've been suffering, if there is sin, confess it. Uh, And he who has committed sins will be forgiven. In those moments, we need to ask the Lord, if there's any sin in my life, please forgive me. When we do the Lord's Supper, we have a time of reflection. Why is that? We're examining our hearts. We're coming to the table. We're fellowshipping with the Spirit of God as the body of Christ. May there not be any known sin here that we don't take to the Lord and go, Lord, here it is. Yes, because of who you are and what you have done. And so if I find myself in that place of weariness and destitute of soul, if I have committed sins, oh God, please forgive me. I want to be restored. I want to be restored to the fellowship of Christ and the body of Christ. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be, what, healed the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then he gives us an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Huh. We elevate Elijah a lot, right? Yeah. But James is saying he's got a nature just like ours, but yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What is he saying? The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In this place, brothers and sisters, and we need to endure. This is, don't, I've said a thousand, don't forsake the assembling together as the habit of some, but encourage one another love and good deeds. This, this is where it's at. Because in doing love and good deeds, you're going to be beat down. The enemy hates us. I don't know how I can get that beaten into our heads. He despises us. And when you start living for Christ, you let Christ live his life through you. Understand, when you turn to Christ on a daily basis, I'm going to tell you the enemy takes notice of that because you are advancing the kingdom of Christ and not Satan's the moment you forget Christ and you start thinking about yourself, whose kingdom are you advancing? Satan's. So is it any wonder that when you focus on Christ, you're actively engaged in the body of Christ, is it any wonder that you're going to experience persecution? No. And you see, this is the great lie that's being told in the church in America today. That if we know Christ, it's in the church today, this over here. If you're right with Christ You can have your best life now. You can be financially blessed. You just got to speak it forth. The blessing's waiting. The money's waiting. The success is waiting. The next promotion is waiting. It's said over and over all across the United States, and now it's going into South America and other continents. Satan hasn't changed a bit. It's the same story. We've got to understand the full counsel of God's word. This is the path he's chosen for you and me. If you don't like it, you've got an issue with God, not the pastor. And so you can be rebellious, but he disciplines those he loves. But here is the prayer of a righteous man. I want you to see the magnitude of this. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The restoration of the soul. God will raise him up. You see, this is where us as believers look at what God does through the prayer of this righteous person. It's powerful. He uses Elijah as an example. Had a nature like ours. But he prayed. What was the word next before he prayed? What kind of prayer? Earnestly. Now, Here's another one of Satan's tools that to can keep you from praying. Hmm. We become ineffective. Prayer is vital in this walk, This is what James is highlighting. Get in this, you bottom out, you want to be lifted up, pray for one another. Confess sin, and he'll restore you. And then finally, verse 19, verse 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. These are not believers who have lost their salvation. Here's what simply he is saying. He's saying that those of us that are over here I have a brother or sister over here, and we come over here, and we share the revelation of Christ, the Word of God, wisdom from above. We share that with this person over here. We're talking. Don't you, I just love writing. We're talking, we're sharing the Word of God. And guess what? We take them by the hand and we lead them over here. James is saying, you've saved a soul from death. You've saved this individual from this right here, a dead faith. That's has no ability to demonstrate. You say dragging them over? We want to drag them over. <laughs> then you know what? I'm staying over here. All this is just representing is us sharing in the body of Christ. They're in the body of Christ. Okay. The context here is this right here. The context is that if we statistically, okay, statistically, I'm not saying because I know all y'all in the room, I know your private lives, I know what you're doing, not doing. I'm not, Statistically, okay, there's several in this room that are on the wrong path. Statistically speaking. Uh, some of us are upset because we're not getting what's ours on this side. We're having a hard time with it. Some of us are over here, and the Lord, through the Word of God, the preaching of the Word, teaching of the Word, uh, God is saying, no, come back over here. Right here. This is the path I have for you. Lay down your life. Pick up your cross. Deny self. Walk with me. Walk with me. Be like me. In the next few Sundays in 1 Peter, we're going to see this coming out. and It's going to get tough. The message is going to get hard. Christ as an example suffered. As your example, my example. We take our situations in life, we go, what does my flesh want to do? But what does the Spirit of Christ compel, command me to do? Mm. That's when it gets hard, folks. But in the sharing of the Word of God, the sharing of our faith and the life that He's called us to, a brother or sister, their eyes are open. The Holy Spirit reveals to them the air of their way. And they go, you know what? As much as I hate to admit it, I need to confess my sin. I need to repent. And I need to start living life this way. What what have we done? God has used us to save their soul from death. Dead works. Dead faith. Faith that is without life. Okay? So, does that make sense? The culmination of James chapter 5 is a huge invitation you're trusting in your riches, your circumstances, and you think God, His blessing is in the here and now, you have made a mistake. You have not understood the revelation of God, the wisdom of God. For those who do understand and are on that pathway, it's going to be very hard. You're going to run out of steam. Your soul's going to feel empty at times. But there's a brother or sister who's there. Lay hands on you, and to pray with you, and to pray over you. Opportunity to confess sin, get our hearts right with the Lord, and He will. Scripture James says, raise you up. We'll have strength to endure, and what is happening? Works of endurance. Works of endurance. Maybe we'll endure through that one. Now let's go to the next one. Consider it all joy. Hallelujah. I'm a little more like Jesus. Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> okay, that's where we're, that's our life. That's our life on the side of heaven. So we really need each other, don't we? We really do. We see how the enemy is working against the witness of Christ. Now you see how Christ, through the wisdom of God, is revealing his character, his love, his nature. And he wants this body to look like that. In this community. Whew. Man. That can get heavy. That's why your pastor gets excited on Sunday mornings. Right there. In a nutshell. It is. It's a hallelujah meeting, isn't it? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Has this study caused you to rethink how you approach life? (laughs) Okay. I hope in the right way. Tell me some things you've gleaned from it. If you can share, I mean, if it's not too personal. She said if you're in the back couldn't hear it's just walking through this, seeing his faithfulness, holding your hand through it, and make it count for the kingdom. Did I did I hear that right? Okay. What else? Because we haven't gotten, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about the millennial reign. We haven't talked about reigning with Christ. We haven't talked about when he comes and sets everything right and he establishes his throne here on earth. We haven't talked about how, uh, because Adam was supposed to reign and rule on the earth, Jesus as a second Adam, he's coming. The reason why they have the millennial reign, he's fulfilling that purpose that was established by God for Adam. Adam failed. And Jesus will not fail. Has not failed. And he will do it. And we get to reign with him. Wow. Yeah, imagine imagine if everyone that's walked through James these last few weeks, imagine in our relationships, if we went and shared with our brothers and sisters the kind of life we're really to be living. Imagine how that would revolutionize the church. Our community. If they get it, yeah. If they get it. And we started out talking about how they were basing whether or not they were good with God on the outcomes. Based on the outcomes. Over here, we're not even looking at outcomes. We're leaving that up to God. We're looking at what He's building in us. Right? As we're walking through First Peter, you know, we're suffering. Remember I read tonight Dave asked about suffering for the right reasons. In the church, there are things that are going to happen in the church that will cause suffering in the church? And do we just say, well, I'm going to be like Christ, and I'm just going to I'm going to let that go and just trust? No, see, it's different in the church. Here's what is different in the church. If a brother or sister is causing that harm in the church, there's this thing called church discipline. Now here's, uh, let me just do a little commercial on church discipline. Here's why we need to be committed to each other in this growth process. When harm is being done in the church, when a brother or sister is being harmed and they're suffering, we don't just let that go unchecked. We have to be so committed to this body. Paul said, be diligent about the unity of the body and love, purpose. So guess what? That means we get to go to the one who's causing the harm and the suffering and we call them out. It's not so in the church. We don't act like the world in the church. It's one thing to suffer from persecution, out in the world, but in the body of Christ, no, 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 we're not acting like the world, brother. You got an opportunity to change your ways, or sister, you got an opportunity to change your ways. The the son who was having sex with his stepmother, Paul said, cast him out. Let the enemy devour his flesh, but that he'd be saved in that kind of life. And when he did repent, it was a call to repentance. But once he did repent. What did Paul then say? Bringing quickly back in to the fellowship. Renew and restore, build up. Okay? So discipline is about restoration, reconciliation, building up the body to keep the body healthy. There's a cancer in the body. We address it. We do surgery. We work through it. The reason why our body is unhealthy many times is because we allow cancers to go unchecked. We're not doing life together. We're not in relationship. We don't know each other. So that when something comes up in a marriage or in a family, in the life of an individual, we don't know how to address it. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to hold each other accountable. So we think, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. I might offend them. Yeah. 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 If I really love the body of Christ, well, you bet your pastor's going to offend you. Uh huh. You bet the pastor's going to get offended. I've had people come to me and say, "Man, I got a real problem with." Well, I didn't even realize that. Thank you for sharing. Please forgive me. <laughs> All right. What else? Anything else? wasn't the church but that's a good example of accountability Um, David was being eaten up when you read Psalm 51 okay Uh, I'm looking at that text for another event situation yeah it's a you know the king was in that day and time he could have lived superficially and excused that but because David was a man after God's own heart I wasn't saying he had a he had a heart like God's. He was pursuing the heart of God. He was in love with God passionately. Therefore, chapter 51, you see a picture of a man who is distraught, weak, beat down, because of this love for his God, broken fellowship. Okay? So Nathan, yeah, he calls him out, tells him a story. He's enraged. He goes, You're the man. We don't do that in a judgmental way as if we are self-righteous. We don't go to a brother or sister and say, because I'm so right with God, I'm calling you out. Oh, no. I'm going to say, look, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace, and it's tough living a life like Christ, but we're in the body of Christ, and sin hurts people. We don't have to live that way. We're here for each other, not against each other. Right. So in that situation, in the church, yeah, there's going to be some... uh, David committed adultery, committed murder, coveted, lied. I mean, ooh. But God restored him. He did pay for his sin tremendously. There were horrible, harsh consequences. And David knew it. In fact, when... He refused to fight against Absalom, his son. He loved Absalom. He thought Absalom would be the one to take his place. When his son uh, was killed, he was so broken. But he knew it was the result of bad parenting. He didn't hold his kids in check. Bad parenting, 101. Ooh, that gets heavy, doesn't it? Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we pray? We need to cover this body in prayer. You know. You know what the Word of God has revealed to you. You know how you should live. We are now accountable to it, brothers and sisters. We're accountable to it and what we do with it. A couple things ought to come out of this fruit for us as a church. Humility. We should take away from this humility of heart that we're all sinners covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We look at the law of liberty, chapter 1. We stay there and we're aware of just how much we need Jesus. So, humility of heart. Not judging uh, whether a brother or sister is right with God based on circumstances. Uh, We're all on a path of being refined, that God is producing a work of endurance in us that we'll have an approved faith when we meet Jesus face to face. Our faith will be complete, lacking in nothing. Therefore, we must submit, we must submit to this testing of our faith and respond appropriately like Jesus. We must crucify our flesh and not give in to satisfying our flesh. And we must do life with each other so that when we see a brother or sister not walking the pathway of endurance, we want to encourage them to come and join with us so that God will be able to demonstrate His sacrificial mercy in the body of Christ. And they will also have a complete faith. What a journey. Wow. In that, okay, I'll I leave you with this. In that, you will see God's faithfulness to restore you along the way. You will restore, and you will be able to have joy. Some kind of journey. Ready to pray? Get ready for Jonah. It's going to be a good time. And uh, pray for me while I'm... Out on the road, and I'm expecting God to do some wonderful things. And I'll meet up with our team going to Brazil. I'll be going to Mexico Friday. Opportunity to pour into some men, and um, and then come back, get on another plane, go to Brazil with our team going to Brazil. So I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying that the the seeds that have been planted, that when I come back, you will be able to share with me uh, just how exciting. This journey has become even more so than what God is showing you, okay? Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, I want to thank you. When I started James, wow, uh, I had I had no way of knowing uh, the depths that you would take us and what you would reveal to us through your word uh, personally and as a church. Uh, Lord, I'm so thankful uh, that on that first night, I was, when I wanted, when I needed to start chapter 1, I was in chapter 5, and someone needed to lay hands on me and pray for me so that I could walk through it. Um, And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for what you've taught us and how you've encouraged us and how you've brought conviction you've brought challenges. And Lord, uh, for me personally, uh, this this, uh, works of endurance has just come alive. And I, I, I now see it in different aspects of my life. And so thankful, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they will walk in humility. Lord, that they will be quick to encourage one another. Lord, they would not forsake the assembling together, but they would constantly and consistently come together to encourage one another in love and good deeds as we wait for your return. And all of these passages and all of these letters, the New Testament, uh, it's always pointing to the return of Christ, the return of Christ, the return of Christ. Christ revealed, at your revealing. Lord, uh, in many places it says that uh, your return is imminent. You are near. Uh, The judge is at the door. Uh, Lord, uh, the the apostles, the saints, they would pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, uh, they were ready to see you. Help us daily to become anxious to see you, to be ready to see you. Lord, this world is tough. It's a fallen, sinful world, and the evil is growing daily more and more and more. We need you, Lord. We are desperate for you to help us see it through. Lord, our faith, these works of endurance and growing our faith and uh, refining our faith, it is only possible uh, through fellowshipping with you through the word and the body of believers. So help us to be obedient and faithful. Lord, now I pray uh, for any who is weary of soul, uh, faint of heart tonight. Maybe they've been on the path and whether it be individually or in relationships, they find themselves growing weary of doing good. I pray Hebrews, uh, Lord, were to to consider Christ. Lord, we're to run this race with endurance, laying aside the sin, everything that would encumber us. Uh, that would keep us from running effectively, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that when we grow weary, that we consider you who went to the cross, who endured the hands of sinners, the hostility, for the joy set before you. So tonight, may we consider the joy set before us, Lord, of being in fellowship with you, um, and the proving of our faith that we would endure. For that joy, may we endure. And I thank you for the blessing of being in the body of Christ and the fruit that comes from it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much. God bless. Yeah. Amen.